we exist to come alongside people who are hurting, who are broken, who are messed up, to come alongside them and give them love and to give them grace and to give them encouragement until they can rise above it and walk on that path on their own. We are Pathway Church, located in Burleson, Texas. We worship together, we serve together, and we grow together. Good morning, everybody. Hey, I am Judy Madden. If you haven't met me, I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and I am just thrilled to be here today on this special day, Memorial Day. And as Jeff said when he came up here that... um, that there, he remembers Memorial Day as being kind of the beginning of summer, and I remember that too. I remember on Memorial Day, actually when I was growing up, Memorial Day was the first day that we were out of school. We would end on the Friday before Memorial Day, and then we would pick up, and we would start with our summer on Memorial Day. I'd go down to our, uh, to our city, and we would have this long parade that had a lot of military people in it marching along. And then it had these big, uh, seemed like they were half a, mo- half a block long convertibles, bright and shiny and brilliant. And inside of them was a gentleman. And the gentleman sometimes would have on a uniform. Sometimes they just had a hat on because I'm thinking maybe their uniform didn't fit anymore. But uh, they had a hat on, and then on the side of the car, it told their name and their military rank. And I remember just having just such a great time watching everybody and all of the flags. I lived in a little town that's kind of like Mayberry RFD, so it was kind of nice to see just this incredible large parade going by. But I found out that Memorial Day was actually titled Decoration Day. It was titled Decoration Day in 1868 in the United States by General Logan, and he was the commander-in-chief of the Grand Army of the Republic. He issued a decree on May 30th that nationwide we should stop and we should commemorate the 620th thousand soldiers that died in the Civil War. 620,000. And so on this day in May, everybody was to stop and to honor them by decorating the graves of the soldiers. Now, it just, legend has it that May 30th was decided upon because that coincided with the prolific growth of beautiful flowers all over. So May 30th was chosen for that day. And although we call it Memorial Day, not Decoration Day, the name Memorial Day officially became the name in 1970 when it became a national holiday in the United States. So my husband, David, he grew up And their uh, tradition in their family would be to travel to Indiana, where all of his relatives lived. And they would go to the grave sites of relatives, and they would place wreaths or they would place flowers at the grave. So he had a little different experience than I did. And on uh, that same weekend, they would hand out these poppies. And these poppies represent... 
Uh, it's an incredible story. They represent the poppies that were growing in Flanders Field, where so many of our soldiers had been buried. And so out in this beautiful field of green grew up these brilliant red poppies. And so places like the American Legion, the Veterans of Foreign War, all those organizations would get these poppies that would be created by disabled vets and they would be distributed for donations back to give that money back to the disabled vets. So everyone who wore a poppy, we were doing it in memory of the fallen soldiers. Now, as I got older uh, in junior high and high school, Memorial Day kind of changed for me. And it changed for me because my uncle, who was Marine, fought in Vietnam, and uh, he was one of the fortunate ones who did come back fully healthy, uh, but he was different. You know, at family gatherings, we could come together like we did before, and I was just little. I was like 10 years old, and um, we would come together, and all of a sudden, he would retreat, and he started drinking a little bit more, and he'd be having a great time, and then all of a sudden, you could see something happened, and his demeanor would change, uh, and he would just get very isolated. And there didn't seem to be anything that I could do for my uncle. I loved my uncle dearly. But I couldn't do anything for him. And there were other soldiers that were missing in action or prisoners of war. And at that time, you could purchase a, a copper bracelet. And on that copper bracelet was the name and the rank and the date of that soldier went missing. And so, I don't know if any of you all had those copper bracelets, but uh, I wore that copper bracelet, I prayed for the soldier, and then in Chicago, the Chicago Tribune would put out a paper every week, and in the paper it would have all listing of all of the soldiers that had been found or had come back or were released from prison. And all of us that had those copper bracelets, we would peruse that list to see if we could find our soldier's name on it, hoping that they would be on there. I never saw his name, and I never heard if that soldier came home. I have since learned that a soldier can leave a battlefield, but the battle can remain within the soldier, in their soul, for many, many, many years. Now on the weekend of Memorial Day, I get out this book written by Charles Patterson. It's called The Vietnam War Poetry, The Petrified Heart. And I think up here on the screen you'll see a picture of Captain Patterson. He served in the United States Army in the, I'm sorry, oh my gosh, I just made the biggest. He served in the Marine Corps. <laughs> he was a Marine. Uh, and he gives us this glimpse of the torment and ongoing relentless battle that remains when a soldier comes back home. He speaks through these beautifully written poems of his own hardships and the deaths that he witnessed in Vietnam. 
And then he speaks of his victory, that he finally found peace after 11 years of therapy. So here it, it was his picture, and here is this book that I'm going to be reading out of that's called The Petrified Heart. Um, he wrote this poem. It's the only thing that he wrote while he was in Vietnam. It's, it's entitled Marion Henry Norman. And he never wrote again until 15 years after returning to the United States after he began therapy for post-traumatic stress disorder. These are the stanzas of the poem Patterson wrote while in Vietnam. They took your life as if it belonged to them. If only they had told me they needed a life, I would have given them mine. I wonder what they did with your life, perhaps, if they don't need it now, they'd give it back. You know, I read that, and I've read it over and over and over again. And I've also learned that 15 years later, he started adding to this poem as he began to heal. And these are the next lines. I saw you dead, but never buried. On the screens here is a map of the world. And on this map, every point there, every mark, is a cemetery where American soldiers are buried on foreign lands. It's huge. There are actually 130,000 soldiers that are buried outside of the United States who came from the United States to fight a war for us. There are also 27 memorials in the United States and in 16 other countries representing those who are missing in action from World War I to Vietnam. There are about 124,000 grave sites at memorials commemorating those who were missing in action. Now this is all a lot of numbers, but the number that really caught me and just really sunk into my soul was this one. 82,000 soldiers today remain unaccounted for. 82,000. The line in the poem that I just read is worth repeating because Marianne Henry Norman was the first soldier that Captain Patterson saw die in the line of duty. And he was one of what would become too many for Captain Patterson to count. They took your life as if it belonged to me. If only they had told me they needed a life, I would have given them mine. John 15, 13 in the Bible says, Jesus describes the ultimate love to his disciples in this scripture. He's telling them about this before he knows that he's going to be giving his life. And he says to them, no one has found greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. So the question is, how does one, how do we, how do soldiers 
lay down their life for a friend? The answer is through faith. In your notes, if you're taking notes today, in your notes, we're going to go to Hebrews 11, and we're going to camp out in Hebrews 11 and 12 today. So in Hebrews 11, verse 1, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith, our ancestors received approval. By faith, we understand that the world's prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. In your notes, number four, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. This entire chapter, chapter 11 of Hebrews, is amazing. And it goes on, it's kind of known as the spiritual hall of fame, right? It's got all of these people that we hear about in the Old Testament and how they were able to accomplish great things. And it tells us the way they accomplished those things was through faith. So when we look at these, uh, I'm just going to tell you a few of these because the list is huge. But uh, it starts out and it says, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain's. By faith Enoch was taken so that he did not experience death. And it goes on to say that by faith Noah, he was warned by God about what was coming. So he went ahead and built an ark. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called out to set out for a place that he was re to receive as an inheritance. And he was set out not knowing where he was going. By faith, Abraham just continued to go forth. And by faith, Abraham, when put to the test, offered up his only son at the time, Isaac, as a sacrifice. And by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph. And by faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus to the Israelite, of the Israelites. By faith, Moses' parents hid him in reeds and put him in a river where he would come up upon the Pharaoh's daughter, even in a time where the king at that moment was killing all of the children, the male children under the year of two. By faith, Moses, when he grew up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And he chose, instead of being uh, in this elegant palace and having all of the power, he chose to claim his inheritance and he chose to live with, those with the people of his inheritance. By faith, people passed through the Red Sea as if it were the dry land. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish and by faith, she would remain. And then he goes on to say, what more should I say? For time would fail me to tell you of all of those who have gone on before us and by faith have accomplished great things. And then here's the kicker at the end. He says in verse 39, 
Yet all these, though they were commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better so they would not, apart from us, be made perfect. So I ask you, how many of us have thought, gosh, I've prayed about this issue, I've prayed about it, I've prayed about this, I've prayed about that, and I don't feel like God's answering me. This book says, by faith, we're going to see something greater. And it also tells us that we're in this great company of people who have come on before us that are listed in the Bible. So we need to just sit back and go, okay, okay, I will keep moving forward even if I am not seeing what I'm praying to receive. So th this book of Hebrews is filled with encouragement. It is filled with reminders that faith is the core strength, the core strength. And sometimes we may not understand how God is using us. So chapter 12 continues, and it talks about all of these people that they just said, by faith, they accomplished these things. And it classifies them. Listen to this in 12 verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, those that we just heard about, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. So in this first chapter, in, in chapter 11, we hear about all these spiritual hall of famers, right? And now we're hearing that they're classified as a cloud of witnesses. Now the word cloud in the original Greek language is meant to refer to a large mass of people. And they use that word often. So they could have just said, because of this cloud that's surrounding us. But they didn't. They said, because of this cloud of witnesses. That takes on a whole nother meaning. Because witnesses are people who can tell us what they've experienced and where we're moving to, right? If you are around somebody who has been through what you have been through and they're a little bit farther ahead, they're witnessing to us what we can expect to see. My personal cloud of witnesses consists of some amazing veterans, including Charles Patterson, who died three years ago, who is known to me as Uncle Chuck. Also, uh, Fred Patterson, their cousin, who died in Vietnam just one week prior to my Uncle Chuck being deployed. Um, there's also my father, Maury Patterson, who served in World War II, and my father-in-law, Donald Madden, who served in the Korean War. I am so thankful that all these great men are in my cloud of witnesses. My father and 
Our cloud of witnesses, though, they are not just made up of soldiers and of military personnel. Our cloud of witnesses are made up of people of great faith who have influenced us and who have cheered us on, maybe with their books, maybe with their songs, maybe they have shared their life with us, maybe they have mentored us, but those who have gone on before us have these faith experiences that we, if we're going to continue our faith, need to continue to grow and to learn from them. Here at Pathway Through the Years, we've had many who would be spiritual hall of famers that we could write in this book. But just like this author, for me to mention them all by name, one thing I would probably miss many of them, but the other thing is there are too, too many to actually call them out by name. But let me tell you a little bit. By faith, seven families came together 50 years ago to build this church. Seven families. And look what we are right now. By faith, people of Pathway reached out to the community to serve those in need. By faith, a young man named Rick Owen, along with his wife and his son Justin, moved to Burleson to answer the call to pastor what was this little itty-bitty church. By faith, church leaders through the years have persevered together through hardships and times of growth. And by faith, the people of Pathway right now are continuing to reach out to the one more, to those of you who are in the, at the bridge, to those of you in True Worth, to those of you who are online. Oh my gosh. It was faith that made us reach out and know that we could do that. By faith, the people of Pathway serve teaching our children and helping them to grow and subbing during the summertime for the other teachers. The, Pathway, the people of faith here at Pathway have given, pledged, and continue to give generously to the One More campaign so that all of these things are so that by faith, we will be a cloud of witnesses to many, all of us who originally were one more, right? So in your notes, number two, the people in our cloud of witnesses are strong, positive people who influence our lives. Strong, positive influences on our lives. Now, the author of Hebrew paints a foot race a so-called uh, ancient day marathon, right? He talks about persevering. He talks about going over the finish line, uh, something that is not easily completed. It takes rigorous training. And so uh, as you think about that, if you've done any kind of competition, any kind of competition, it doesn't even have to be a sport competition, but any kind of competition, you know that when you're getting a little bit tired and you're getting a little weary, if there is people that are cheering you on, come on, you can do it, that you're not going to give up when you're five feet from the finish line, are you? You're going to push it through and push it through. My husband uh, has run marathons uh, for a long part of his life, 
and actually he has run over 60 marathons, and he would always finish strong and fast. And so um, I thought, you know, okay, we've gone on this marathon, I've followed him around, and I thought, okay, good, we get to go home early. But no, lots of times we were the last people in his group to leave. Because David wanted to be there at the finish line for everybody else who was coming up behind us. And he wanted to make sure that they were hearing his voice cheering them on to the finish line. In fact, sometimes he, when he would see somebody, he'd go back at the finish line. He would run back down a couple of blocks and then run alongside of them, cheering them on, telling them that you can do it, you can do it. It was like he was saying, if I can do it, you can do it too. Come on, let's do it together. So when, uh, when running a race, clothes get wet, they get full of sweat, right? And as their clothes get wet, the heavier the weight is on the marathoner's shoulders. And, and races begin early in the morning oftentimes when it's chilly. So marathoners will put on additional clothing, right? Or it might be raining or something like that. Well, as they progress down through the, down through the race, they are starting to feel that weight of all of those extra clothing. So they shed the extra clothing, right? And they get rid of it so that they can continue to endure and to persevere and get to the finish line. And marathoners know this idea of mental practice. So when they are running, if a marathoner was, uh, well, I should just say, if a marathon was in a different town, my husband and I would go to that town, and David would want to drive the 26.2 route, 26.2 mile route, because he would want to see where the turns are, where the ups are, where the downs are. He would want to make sure where the water stops were, and he would also want to make sure if he got to one point, he would know that the finish line wasn't very far from where he was. So he would take these mental mental notes. I, myself, while I was driving around, I was looking for places, uh, oh, that's a good place to get a cup of coffee while I wait for him to run by. Or I would say, that's a good place to park so that I could meet up with him and take some of that clothing that he had shed. Uh, and so we would continue to look and get this mental picture in our head of where this race would take us. All of us in this room, we all can be, and online and wherever you are, everybody that hears this message, we all can be those strong, positive influences in the lives of others. And one day, we will be in a cloud of witnesses if we continue to follow what we have learned from those who have come before. Can you imagine this? This author is telling us that all of our loved ones who have passed on before us, who meant so much to us, that they are in this cloud of witnesses cheering us on constantly in our lives. So even when we think that we're alone, even when we think that we're by ourselves, we have this huge cloud of witnesses that is there with us. 
Let's look again. I'm going to go back to chapter 12, verse 1, and go to the very next phrase. It's a, first it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely. Like the runner's clothes when they get soaked, they cling to your body, right? And so what, what they're saying here, number three, is that sin is a stumbling block to our focus and endurance. Sin is the stumbling block to our focus and endurance. We need to shed the excess weight, all of the excuses, the what-ifs, the should-haves, the um, I can't do it, anything that is causing us to drop back in the race instead of moving forward in the race. We need to get it off of us. We need to allow ourselves to have the best opportunity to move forward, to be self-aware that sin, what that sin is that is holding us back from finishing the race that God has set before us. So in order to shed that which holds us back, one of the most important things that I believe is some gut-wrenching, self-awareness, soul-searching time that you spend with yourself and that you try to figure out what it is that's holding you back. Now, there's three ways to do this, I believe. One is to first acknowledge your sin in your notes. A, acknowledge your sins. Go to God for wisdom and ask God what is holding you back. Help, ask him to reveal it to you so that you can get past that stumbling block. The second thing, B, is to name your sin. Actually put a name to it. Now, this is not as easy as it sounds. How many of us have thought, well, I'm not so bad. You know, I'm here at church, Judy. I, I'm nice to my neighbors. I didn't run anybody off the road on the way here. I, I certainly haven't killed anybody yet. I may have thought about it, but haven't done it yet. And how many of us are thinking all of those thoughts that we really don't have any really big sins to get rid of, you know? But often those sins are the most dangerous, the ones that aren't transparent. They're the respectable sins. They're the sins like a little white lie, a little bit of bias, thinking maybe at some time or another, hey, I'm better than that person. Or maybe it could be that we struggle with pride, maybe, a little bit of pride. Or maybe you're jealous, maybe you're judgmental, controlling. All of those things are sins that will hold us back. But sometimes we just brush them off as, hey, that's the way I am. That's who I am but they can hold us back. So the third step in what we can do is to repent and make a concentrated effort to change our actions. It's only until we truly repent, until we truly turn away from that which is holding us back, the sin that is holding us back, and turn fully towards God 
Only then will we experience this transforming love that God has for us that will build us and encourage us and equip us to continue. But we have to turn towards God. If we don't turn towards God and ask for that, we're not going to get it. If we keep on turning towards God and then we go back to the sin and then we turn towards God and then we go back to the sin, have we really, really asked for forgiveness? Or are we just in our head thinking, well, I can do it today. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to God today. No, I'm going back to sin tomorrow. Again, that sin can be anything that we do. So when we repent, when we go to God, when we ask for forgiveness, God blesses us with this transforming love that helps change our lives and allows us to persevere on this race. Number In your notes... Persevere. To persevere, we must have a mental practice of endurance. Remember David and I driving around on the race course, him looking for things, me looking for coffee? Well, that's that mental practice of endurance. Often what gets in our way of accomplishing a goal, even a small goal, is fear, right? Fear can really be an obstacle that we stumble on. In in the Psalms, Psalm 27, this is a Psalm of David, and it starts out with this stanza. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I even be afraid of? And then it goes on to talk about all the wonders of God. And at the end it says... I believe that I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Now this word wait in the Hebrew language is, is gavah. And gavah has the meaning of binding together, eagerly waiting hoping for, expecting. It's not this passive, I'm going to wait around for you to get ready. It is eagerly waiting and binding ourselves to the energy that we have, to the strength that we have through God. And Jesus knew this. He was hope-filled, right? Jesus could not have gone to that cross without waiting for the Lord without binding himself to the Lord because there was going to be so much struggle that Jesus had as a human that he would not be able to persevere to endure if he did not bind himself to God. But he knew if he did that, that he was going to find that joy he was going to be able to find that place that would bring him to the finish line and that would bring us to the finish line as well someday. Martin Luther King Jr. understood this same desire for wholeness for the world and the endurance to finish the race. And here's a quote from Martin Luther King Jr. It says, The kind of love that led Christ to a cross and kept Paul unembittered amid the angry torrents of persecution, is not soft, anemic, and sentimental. Such love confronts evil without flinching and shows in our popular parlance an infinite capacity to take it. 
Such love overcomes the world, even from a rough-hewn cross against a skyline. Whew, that's some powerful stuff. This infinite capacity to take it, this is endurance. In your notes, number five, endurance leads to finishing the race by faith. Rick mentioned last week that we can't just wake up one morning, grab a pair of shoes, put them on, and go out and run 26.2 miles and go, woo, I did it, right? It takes this training. It takes being uh, prepared. And after we hear about uh, being prepared in this, in this great cloud of witnesses in Hebrews 12, we are instructed to look to Jesus to look to Jesus, who for the sake of that joy, for you and I, that we would be whole, that we would be healed, Jesus continued to endure the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken the seat on the right hand of God the Father. In your notes, number six, we will only cross the finish line if we keep our focus on Jesus. You know, there is a, one of my favorite, one of my favorite stories is the story in Matthew 14 of the disciples getting into the boat. And they're in the boat, and Jesus is walking around, and he says, I'll meet you on the other side, and night comes, and all of a sudden, this kind of, the winds start blowing up, and the boat starts rocking, and Jesus looks at and he says, you know, I better go check on those guys. And so he walks out onto the water and uh, he sees them and they see him and they think that he's a ghost. So they're afraid. And Jesus says, fear not, it is I. And Peter looks out and recognizes Jesus and he says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you and I'll come. And Jesus says, come. And so Peter gets out of that boat, and he starts walking, and man, he is focused on Jesus. He is not taking his eyes off of Jesus. And then all of a sudden, he looks around him, and he realizes, whoo, I'm walking on water, and I can't do that. And there is all of these waves here, and things are crashing at me everywhere. And he takes his focus off of Jesus for a split second, and whoosh, he drowns. And Jesus puts his hand in the water and pulls back up Peter. And Jesus says to Peter, Man, why do you have such little faith? It's almost like Jesus was saying, Keep your focus on me. Keep your focus on me, and I will give you what you need to get through what, your, what the obstacle is before you. So how do we carry on? especially when things get really rough, when those waves are coming at the boat, we carry on by focusing on Jesus, knowing that we have the strength that faith provides, the strength that Jesus modeled, the love that overcomes the world. So Jesus' purpose is razor-focused, right? He never took his eyes off the mission. And much like the soldiers that we spoke about earlier, he was ready to die for the cause. Jesus was resolute. 
And Jesus is not going to stop encouraging and equipping us to finish our race when we are following and we have faith of a mustard seed. The only thing that's stopping us from healing and from wholeness is ourselves. That is the only thing that's stopping us, is us not taking that step. The end of the poem that my uncle began in Vietnam goes like this. I saw you dead, but never buried. In my heart you've lived. S laughing, smiling, Hank. I would keep you there forever, in a memorial more perfect than hands could ever build. And then the next stanza shows the turn in my uncle's health and in his healing. It says, finding an end to my war, I can warn you now. And in sadness, leave this loving, painful, magical caretaking, so that I may live in peace to celebrate your death, to elevate your life and its conclusion, which was neither sweet nor fitting, duty's harshest price for which consideration should have been honor. My uncle spent 11 years in therapy for PTSD. It took perseverance and endurance. It took mental practice. It took prayer. And it took a cloud of witnesses cheering him on. I just want to say to any vet who is listening to this, if you would like a support group, I would encourage you to contact me, and we will gather together other vets who can sit together and process what has happened. Because sometimes it could be 30 years, 40 years, before that step is taken. The race spoken about in Hebrews 12, it is the race to healing and to wholeness. It is to finish on this world, restoring the relationship with God that began when we were in our mother's womb. It is never about how fast we finish the race. It is about finishing the race. And we will have this great cloud of witnesses <clears throat> that is cheering us on. And the person that's going to be right at the front of our cloud of witnesses is Jesus himself. Can you imagine that? Jesus, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, is front and center in our cloud of witnesses, going, come on, you can do it. You can do it. I believe in you. I'm giving you my strength. Just have faith. If you don't have faith, pull on my faith because it's there and it's there for you. I heard it said one time, that it is harder for God to move a car that is parked than it is to move a car that's already rolling and in gear. Think about that. I thought, wow, that's a really incredible. And then when I was reading in Hebrews 12, I thought, oh my gosh, here it is, right here in Hebrews 12. It says it in a little different manner. It says, therefore... Lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint. 
but rather it will be healed. We have to take that first step. So may we all move so that we can be healed by God, fully healed. You know, I hope one day that uh, somebody will say this phrase, by faith, Judy Madden pressed on to finish the race, glorifying God with every woohoo, and that she shared the transforming love and the healing grace of Jesus with every person that she came across. Oh, that would be a great finish for me. But I know the only way that I'm going to be able to get there on those days that are difficult is to remember those who have gone on before me, who have touched my life, who have influenced it positively, and have shown me what great faith is. As we wind up here, I'm going to show you a few of the folks. And please forgive me, I didn't have a chance to include them all, just like in the book of Hebrews. Uh, but I'm going to show you some of the folks right here at Pathway that have gone on to be with the Lord between 2020 and today. So let us remember that these folks are in our cloud of witnesses. And I pray and hope and look forward to the day when I will see them face to face at the finish line. I hear you whisper underneath your breath. I hear you whisper you have nothing left. I will send out an army to find you in the middle of the darkest night. It's true. Many things are accomplished. 
that we thought never could be. God, we thank you that even in the midst of storms, that you are right there with us at the front of our clouds, cheering us on and telling us, you can do it, you can overcome, you can heal, you can be whole. So Lord, may we all take that step. May you drop and pull away the sins that, that cling to us, Lord. May you take away everything that stands as an obstacle between us and between healing through you. And God, may our fear drop to the side and may we persevere with great strength knowing that you are there along with this great cloud cheering us on every day until we ourselves cross that finish line. It's in Jesus' powerful and holiest name that I pray. Amen. Thank you all. Have a great Memorial Day. Thank you for joining us. If you would like more information on Pathway or to get connected to a ministry, visit our website at pathway.church. We look forward to growing with you as we worship together. God loves you. God is with you.